You're listening to the B-Fox and B-Frank show. Day, whatever it is, of quarantine. Mm-hmm. Still a lot going on um, in the world of college basketball. Wake Forest, off the bat, moving quickly to replace Danny Manning. Uh, one of the names that we talked about last week, Steve Forbes coming over from East Tennessee State. Uh, five very successful years there. One official NCAA tournament appearance would have been another one had it happened this year. Um, all in all, what are your thoughts on the hire? I mean, if you're if you're going to go mid-major ranks, I don't think you could have found anyone better. Just that the level of success that he had in such a short period of time at East Tennessee State, he's one of those guys that has built a winning culture in a very short amount of time. I, I wrote about it at uh, SoundChicago.com, but I want to say he had... T- five seasons all five seasons over 20 wins something incredible and he had uh 81 and 19 i believe was his league record would have been really nice for me to have this already pulled up but he uh clearly did well in johnson city and found a way he was 130 and 43 overall um but he found a way to make it a quick turnaround and and keep that program running mainly through transfers. I think that was a big piece of his game, as we've seen taking some projects from Power 6 schools. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates to his recruiting at Wake Forest, because that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do there. Um, He had, yeah, all five seasons, 24 or more wins, 71 and 19 in SoCon play. And the SoCon's been one of, if not the toughest, mid-major conferences in the country for at least the last decade. Yeah, it really depends like where you officially draw the line, but they're they're always, you know, multiple teams competing and, you know, good teams really like the Waffords, the Furmans, you know, have, putting up good wins in non-conference and then, you know, battling for what is arguably the toughest, you know, one-bid league. That's mm-hmm. it's been forever since, you know, SoCon has gotten more than one team in the field. There's been, you know, debates for you know potentially getting more but yeah i mean i, I know a, a couple of guys went from even even indiana to to play for steve forbes mascara perea peter jerkin um and that was, that was kind of part of how he he built the bucks up into a consistent contender you know taking away the ncaa tournament bid this year they they made two other postseason appearances in his five years so really there is only one year where they were just deemed not good enough to play any postseason basketball whatsoever, which is pretty good uh, for, again, a mid-major school that's only going to have one NCAA tournament bid within the conference every year. Um, so, I mean, makes sense from Wake Forest's perspective. The only knock that you could potentially make is that you know he is not the youngest guy. Um, yeah. So it's kind of more, more of a guy who's – He's been around the block, so he brings good experience. Um, and I mean, he's he's proven he can win, deserves a shot at this level. But those are the few few grumbles I've seen. And I mean, he he's going to have an opportunity to prove his worth right off the bat. So as we've said, Wake Forest has not been successful in quite some time, and they're already going to be losing an integral piece from they had last year. As Olivier Saar is is going to be transferring out of the program. Yeah, not a great welcome, especially after that, you know, rowdy and fired up video that he he put oh out, which we'll, we we'll definitely, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, real quick, 
to go back to the age thing, this kind of feels similar to the Mike Young hire last year for Virginia Tech, where you take a successful guy at a mid-major program, obviously both out of the SOCON, but slightly different scenarios as Young had been at Wofford for quite a while and Steve Forbes only five years at ETSU, but they're both, you know, not the youngest guys, um, but had shown success. And I think at some point, at some point you've got to stop trying to go for the hire of the guy that's going to be there for 30 years, or that's going to be like the hot coaching name in a couple of years and find the guy that just wins wherever that may be. And I think that was what Wake Forest was going for here, all in a very quick turnaround, which we mentioned before. Then the Olivier Saar news breaks, and that is a, a tough blow because at times he looked like one of the better big men in the entire ACC last season, and then at other times he kind of disappeared. But you can't afford to lose uh, you know, a seven-foot center that puts up basically 12 and 10 a night and helped you beat Duke last season with a guy like Vernon Carey in the paint. Yeah, and you don't have the kind of depth that – a lot of the elite schools in the ACC do have. You You can't afford to be losing a, a player of that right. caliber. Um, yeah, just the how quickly they moved kind of leads me to believe that they had already started looking for coaching candidates before they made the announcements um, that they were letting Danny Manning go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the announcement video, just absolutely preposterous. Um I just the the thinly veiled shots too, uh, talking about graduation, you know, uh, taking shots at Danny Manning, um, but just Steve Forbes standing there on the Wake Forest practice court, just Gronk spiking his mask after basically officially accepting the job is just theater. But it also just the first image to the Wake Forest fan base basically is like this guy's a little unhinged very much i mean his mask was barely on to begin with which was the funny thing he was ready he was ready to rip that off you're looking at it from the beginning and you're like what the hell is going on like he he isn't the most athletic man i guess is how i'll put it so you see this guy standing in the practice facility kind of like slowly looking up and turn panning around looking at all the banners or lack thereof and (laughs) Then next thing you know, a guy who I guess is the president of the university walks in and and gives him this speech, (laughs) takes a a nice jab at Danny Manning, although I guess Danny Manning gets the last laugh with the $15 million buyout in his deal. Yeah, and then uh, we get (laughs) the first real message to, as he said, Deke Nation of a, a, a spike of a mask during a global pandemic. And him screaming at the camera. So you got to wonder what athletic department intern was forced to take this video and how they came up with this in the first place. That's another thing. At a certain point, we we have to draw the line with like blank nation right. at certain schools because they're they're not Wake Forest people coast to coast. And I don't I don't know where the line of demarcation is, but uh, over the years, I've heard so many like. Even much smaller schools than Wake Forest using that, and it just it, it it's amusing every time because I, I'm not sure that people fully understand what they're saying. Um, yeah, but like you said, kind of has a, a familiar face in the the coaching fraternity in the ACC. Mike Young, um, couple of SoCon guys moving up in the world to the ACC, so that is pretty cool to see. Um, and 
yeah, obviously we saw kind of how Mike Young started out, had some good wins in uh, non-conference, conference season, but overall Virginia Tech kind of digging out of a rebuilding hole similar to what Steve Forbes is going to be walking into Wake Forest. So mm-hmm. both these jobs will be interesting to, to take a look at how these guys do over the next couple of years because, like you said, not necessarily the, the sexiest names on any um, you know up-and-coming coaching list, but guys who are proven winners and you know, most years the ACC is the premier basketball conference in the country or at least has some of the premier teams. Last year, a notable exception. So plenty of challenges uh, for Steve Forbes. So it'll, it'll be a great opportunity for him to, to really prove his worth. Yeah, and it's – I know we talked about Olivier Saar, but I want to just close up my thoughts on him real quick. Um, it's kind of like Nate Oates going to Alabama last year where – he gets hired, and a bunch of guys say they're going to transfer. Saar is still leaving the possibility of returning to Wake Forest open, so it is up to Forbes to sell him right away. And if you can quickly turn that ship around, which I don't know if it's going to be possible because I feel like Kentucky is going to be coming and coming hard after this kid, uh, after missing out on harms, which I, I would mean, have to their benefit. I would have loved to have seen Matt Harms in a Kentucky jersey, just to see him face Big Blue Nation. I, oh my god, that that would have been too much. Um, but this is a legit, I mean, he's averaged 13 points, 9 rebounds last year. It's a legit big man, and this is what Kentucky could use, losing guys like Nick, Nick Richards. So, it'll be a very, very tough sell job for uh, Steve Forbes, but if he can do it, that is hitting the ground running, I would say, in Winston-Salem. Yeah, it's better than any recruit he can bring in. Like that would be a mm-hmm. phenomenal, you know, recruiting victory of sorts. Just keeping an established four Wake Forest star and yep. star rounds. Um, that's that's a player you can build off of year one. Um, and that's it's kind of like when you're a uh, a rookie quarterback coming into the league. It always helps if you have a veteran wide receiver you can just rely on from the get go. Um, so. Rather than completely starting with a blank slate, that would be very advantageous uh, for Forbes to keep Sar around. Just throwing that out there if he hadn't already considered it. Steve, we know you're listening. So <laughs> just just a friendly tip. Yeah, a friend of the program. Yep. So, okay. um, in less upbeat news, um, depending on your perspective, Louisville received their, uh, their notice of allegations for... A number of things, but basically boiling down to Brian Bowen. Um, One level one allegation, three level two allegations, um, improper benefits, impermissible transportation and contact, um, you know, and former head coach, who you might remember the name of Rick Pitino, failing to promote an atmosphere of compliance, as the NCAA so eloquently puts it. Um, it's, It's a lot to take in right in. What are what are your thoughts on you know what what's going to come out of this? How how far realistically do you, you think this is going to go for Louisville? I think it depends on how they respond. I mean, Chris Mack has already released a statement saying that they're aware of what's going on and that you know the university and he have run their program to the standards that the NTA sets forward and that you know they're happy to cooperate in this that the other. Um, then there's another statement. I believe it's it's either the AD or the president, and it starts off like right away saying it is important to remember that these are allegations and not facts. So it's like, 
Which yeah. side are we going to take? The combatant side or the, like, we'll cooperate and do whatever? If it's combatant, I think this gets a little ugly. It is impossible now with all these stuff from Christian Dawkins out there and the documentary on HBO and everything that we've seen in the court documents and all this stuff that you can argue that Louisville did not pay Brian Bowen to come play basketball. Or, I'm sorry, Adidas did not pay Brian Bowen to go to Louisville. That's an important distinction, I think. So it depends yeah. how in the weeds we get, because this could be like a precedent setter, or they could just kind of like sweep it under the rug, like the North Carolina thing. I think Iona is the one who gets hurt the most out of all this, because it seems like Rick Patino is going to get suspended and probably rightfully so, for the uh, allegations that are against him. And if they lose him for any chunk of time, I'm sure it won't be beneficial to the program. But at the same time, I think uh, you know any recruiting ramifications that this could have would be significantly more impactful. Yeah, I, I think from, from Louisville's perspective, I read that response as better lawyer up, bitch. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like they're, they're going to fight this um, – all the way they, they've already done and why not like yeah all these blue blood programs that are not all these but like north carolina is the perfect case because it's like <laughs> there was clearly things going on and they just lawyered up and won and like nothing happened so if you're one of these big programs that gets any noa from the ncaa you may as well just lawyer up and drag this thing out as long as possible because even if you lose i don't see the ncaa doing anything yeah, it's looking, at, especially looking at what's happened with North Carolina. It's just kind of been delay, 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 and ultimately nothing's really come out of it. It's, it's like, I mean, it's it's how the NCAA has been for forever. It's it's like mm -hmm. the the great yet controversial Jerry Tarkanian used to say, the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky, they're going to give Cleveland State another year of probation. Right. The the Blue Bloods kind of get off scot free, despite in a lot of instances, pretty clearly, you know, being in the wrong violation of, you know, you can argue whether or not you, you like the rules as we've discussed, but they are technically rules. Um, so I feel like Louisville is going to fight this. I agree with you. I think Iona is more likely to get some of the, the backlash here and Patino possible suspension recruiting, you know, limitations. Um, but ultimately, I think all that would accomplish is lower Iona to what they would normally be on a from a recruiting standpoint. Because when you bring in a guy like Patino, that elevates your profile so much. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're if you're forcing them to to play with one arm tied behind their back, then you know still still be able to to recruit at a a typical Iona level, um, albeit probably a couple of years scholarships or or what have you. But yeah, I, I I really don't think too much is going to happen to Louisville. They've already done the the bullshit self-imposed postseason ban, which still still pretty upset about, um, especially for guys like the grad transfers they had that year, like Damian Lee, who so they screwed over, had nothing to do with it, um, and it like self-imposed postseason ban really didn't accomplish anything. Um, but they're they're not going to do that this time from the jump. We see that, um, so I, I think this is just something that's going to get very much drawn out. Similar strategy again. We saw with UNC, and I don't know. I like 
we, we've been, been hearing rumblings of scandals, recruiting violations, all that stuff for a while now. We're still waiting to really see anything come of it, um, especially at, you know, true power program level. So, I mean, un- until we see that at, at some level, I'm not really expecting that to happen with Louisville. And if Louisville wins this, whatever win comes down to in this situation, yeah. which is still a little muddy, um, it just continues to prove that all you have to do is fight the NCAA and you're going to win. Like none of these schools should ever cooperate or do anything of this of the magnitude of being helpful to them because what's the point? You're going to – I mean if you take this out and draw it out enough, you're going to end up winning. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean winning might just be – it's a semantics game. Winning might just be not losing. Like, right. You can, it gets so deep in the weeds or so far along that it, it fades from front of people's minds. Then, I mean, you're you're in good shape right. from Louisville's perspective. Um, so, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm expecting at this point. But we'll wait and see what happens at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, see, other news. Got a uh, another... High impact transfer going to Chris Beard at Texas Tech. Marcus Santos Silva. Um, <clears throat> basically, think Mo Ali Cox, but a couple inches taller. Yeah, I mean that's that's a perfect way to describe him. I was gonna say he is thicker Chris Clark that plays a more interior game, not as much point forward, more uh, forward. But yeah, I mean Mo Ali Cox is perfect because of the VCU connection, but. Santos Silva, solid player, huge, huge guy, um, size-wise, not not height necessarily, just just wide, thick, whichever word you prefer. He's taller than your average person. He is. He's 6'7". Um, good rebounder, great around the rim, needs to work a little bit on extending to the mid-range, but all in all, this is a really interesting pickup for a team that is going to be so scary if Jemias Ramsey comes back next year. Yeah, averaging close to a double-double, and what was a little bit of a down year in the A-10, outside of, of course, Dayton being otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um, so those numbers might take a dip individually, and he goes to the Big 12, but big addition for, for Chris Beard. And we've seen you know, Matt Mooney, Tariq Owens, how how transfers have, have really blossomed under him there in Lubbock. So I would, I would expect more of the same, and it was, you know, Interestingly enough, just it's kind of how high the standard has been set at Texas Tech. Last year was a little bit of a down year um, for Chris Beard. So an addition like this is definitely, like you said, especially if Ramsey comes back, that's going to get Texas Tech right back in the thick of things in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, it, we're potentially going from a two-horse race in Kansas-Baylor to a three-horse race, Kansas-Baylor-Texas Tech, with Texas Tech lagging behind a little bit. But I mean... We could have three top ten teams from the Big Twelve to start the year next year. We could shudder at the thought. I mean, as 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 soon as the uh, the early deadline has has passed, I will I'll get back on on the top ten train. And I'm a little concerned right now from a national perspective because my Zags could be at risk of losing some guys, um, like Petrusev, most notably. Yep. So. I don't know. They might not be a surefire number one next year to to defend their national title. So I will. Uh, I'm a little concerned about that. But yes, you are right. The Big Twelve will be good once again. <laughs> Top heavy, I think. West Virginia yeah. should be good. I think. Um, Let's not get carried away. There, I, it'll be better. I mean, the bottom of the league will not be as bad <laughs> as it was. 
Yeah. But it'll still be top heavy. It's fair. Um, what else? Uh, well, I mean, speaking of players with clearing, we really don't know when all that's going to happen. I feel like they might end up pushing the deadline back um, for players to return from the draft because they're pushing the lottery back, the combine back, and the combine is typically before the deadline to come back in the draft is. Um, so without the NBA season being completed, you can't have a lottery, obviously, Correct. because you need to know who has what place in the standings and certain number of number combinations. Um, so, I mean, at this point, really don't know when that'll be because it's, it's just so up in the air if this season will be completed at all with the way the world is. Yeah, it's really important, too, because there's still a lot of things in flux in terms of recruiting and roster makeup in college basketball. And, you know, you've got these scholarships that are basically being held by guys that may or may not be there. And when you look at it, I think it was 170 underclassmen declared this year, which there are only 60 picks in the NBA draft. So uh, a lot is going to change. And... Some of these schools need to know sooner than later because there are the types that, uh, you know, will declare just to test the waters and get some feedback on what they should be working on for the next season. Or there could be the guys that unexpectedly leave, like a Vander Blue from Marquette a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. This is this uh, this process obviously wasn't the same as it was back then, but a guy who unexpectedly leaves and all of a sudden you've got to fill the void of maybe your best player on your team. And I think that's, that's an important distinction to make because when you throw out, as a lot of you know college basketball purists do, the, the number of underclassmen declaring, there's a lot of pericolushing, but ultimately it is a lot of guys taking advantage of the new system, going out, getting feedback, basically just straight up being told, you know, this is where you are now, this is what you need to get better at to you right. know, work your way into the first round or the lottery or however high you know, players are aiming to make it. And that that's useful, and I, I'm glad that's an option for people now. Um, it's it's obviously going to be... The, the total number of underclassmen in the draft is going to be thinned down significantly. It does still usually end up being more than the actual total number of slots in the draft. And, of course, there's a ton of draft-eligible seniors out there, too. So, you know, a lot of players aren't going to get taken. There are a lot of professional opportunities elsewhere. We're never going to begrudge anyone from going pro, yada, yada, yada. But ultimately, it's just right now, there's just a ton of uncertainty and kind of just waiting to see what's what's going to spark a change, what's going to happen to, to kind of get the ball rolling and set some kind of clear timeline because, you know, college coaches aren't going to be able to wait forever mm-hmm. to figure out what their rosters are going to look like for next season. Right. And I think this actually could bear some positives depending on how it plays out. Like this could lay the foundation for a system where guys can go to the draft and if they are undrafted, come back to college. I think it's a little ways away, but it's still like this would help set it up um, because of the extended timeline here and what we're dealing with. But you're right. I think, I mean, Unless they add a third round, that's all like two-way players or make the G League somehow more feasible. Um, I don't see how we're going to fix this issue. It's not really an issue, I guess, but fix this situation of more guys going pro than our uh, draft picks and then setting up, you know, 
losing out on talent that maybe if they stayed another year would have been a, a an NBA guy. And that's something that's been floated and it's very like pro player rights. Right. Um, and I think something like that would have to go hand in hand with, you know, a, a one-time transfer rule or, you know, something of that sort, because the, the main issue with that, if that goes into practice is a lot of these guys, they don't get drafted. Right. Their college team has already filled up every spot. So right. they're going to need to have uh, some place to go. So I think, we're probably working up to that point eventually. Um, I, I don't know how far away we are, but I think if we ever get to that point, it'll it'll be hundred percent necessary to have you know some accompanying transfer rule like that, so guys can continue to to play in college if they need to, and not you know worry about you know essentially kicking somebody off the team. Yeah, and it, it makes the decision interesting too because it's like, do you want to try and go pro, or would you like to come back to your current school and play there? Or would you like to risk it, possibly not get picked, and then have to come back to college, but also find a new school? Yeah, so I mean, if the the draft is is late enough, where you know the recruiting period is over, so it's not yeah. like you can really hold a spot for a guy. Mm-hmm. And also, that's that's a hell of a vote of confidence. It's like we don't think you're going to be drafted, right? But you, you can't hold a spot open for a guy. So yeah, I, would, I mean, the more I think about it, like it would almost definitely have to transfer somewhere else if you're going to come back to school. It's just, it's, it's hard to play the numbers game otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's, I mean, this is a year that could force that conversation for sure. Absolutely. And it's, it's progress. Is it, is it going to be made in big strides or small steps? We'll, we'll see, but it's at least progress. Yeah. Um, last dance was yes. yesterday. Um, couple, a couple interesting episodes touching on a lot of stuff off the court, um, as well as, you know, your, your highlight films, uh, set to just the best soundtrack on a documentary I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of lines of the night. One of them, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Incredible PR move. That Very is, relatable. It, I mean... Everyone's been there. I mean, I guess not everyone. Any gambler has yeah. been there. What, at, no matter what level of gambling you do, whether you're, you know, a Michael Jordan degenerate or you're just a guy that likes, you know, will casually play with some friends or whatever it may be. Everyone has been there. Yeah, and, and it's 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 an, an important distinction to make. Uh, Michael Jordan's level of degeneracy is otherworldly. Like, not not everyone is out there. Um, flipping quarters to see how close you can get against a wall, as Pete said so eloquently against Ric Flair. Yep. Um, but I mean, Maxion, as Serge has said, locking in that midnight Hawaii football bet. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all been there. Just not the levels of money that Michael Jordan is probably wagering on these things. Yeah, I think the the important distinction that needs to be made, or I, I don't remember if it was made in the documentary or on Twitter, because the two worlds are kind of colliding at this point on on Sunday nights. Um, you know, fifty grand or whatever it may be that Jordan is gambling with is proportionately about the same for us. You know, throwing down twenty bucks, twenty five bucks on a game, fifty but fifty dollars on a game, whatever it may be. He he just has that much money. Yeah, and it, he was. I, I thought he was. He was absolutely correct. Like he's not at the level where his family's starving or, right. or anything like that, or like real problem signs. It it does 
it's it's a wise move on his part. It's it's hard to formulate these sentences, but it's like it's a smart distinction on his part because all he's doing is indulging in something he likes. It's not really affecting anyone that we know of, I guess. Um, and whatever your theory may be on his dad's death, that we'll leave that aside. But there, you know, it's gambling. He's he's staying within his means, and like he said, it's not really putting anyone out of the way it's not putting his desire his his <laughs> competitive addiction um at the forefront over the needs of his family so that's a that's an important thing because i think that it basically breaks up degeneracy into two levels of like the people that just lose everything and go way above their means and those that stay within their means but want to bet on everything yeah he he happens to have significantly more memes than mm-hmm. most. Correct, and like I think this kind of ties in with uh, with this. But when they when Nike said they were hoping to sell like three million dollars worth of Air oh Jordans God. in year one, and they sold a hundred and twenty six million, that it's was, like no, that was year like by year four. Yeah, they wanted to sell three million. That's right, by year four. <laughs> I I had just read Phil Knight's like memoir, basically about starting. Nike and I was hoping they were going to go a little more into Air Jordan, but they didn't. I had no idea that it was like that, but he, uh, they made a hell of a shoe and it just fucking flew. Yeah. And I didn't even know with inflation what that even equates to today, but that's like a lot of money. Preposterous. Yeah. Like how, how sick do you have to be as an Adidas exec? Oh my God. (laughs) They've screwed it up with so many, so many athletes. Yeah, but and like they're 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 still doing okay themselves. But of course. when you leave that kind of money and essentially influence on the table, that's uh, that's that's tough to relive. It is or, a bad visual it be for me. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, yeah. I don't know what I would do if I was a new DJ. I mean, it's it's basically like the Trailblazers. You know, it's like. Are you sick to your stomach because you may you didn't pick Michael Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. But it is what it is. I mean, there's nothing that can go back to change it, and they're still fine. I mean, both both companies are still there, so they're both fine. They survived without Michael Jordan, but it's a question of what would it have been like. But it, yeah, it could have been six championships or right 126 million in year one, and then some better. Um, the, uh, the other big focus of um, episode five and six, a lot of dream team talk. Mm-hmm. Um, 11 of the best basketball players of all time and Christian Leitner. Yes. Important uh, distinction. <laughs> um, they, I mean, they, they had to, they had to give the rest of the world one roster spot. Like, right. Could have brought Zeke, could have brought like Shaq and made it really unfair, but it was, it was nice of them not to. Um, the I I never knew there was actual footage of the Monte Carlo game. Mm-hmm. That was that was the first time I'd ever seen any of that, and it was uh, pretty much as advertised. Just guys making incredible play after incredible play, and then Leitner getting his lunch eaten on the one shot of his they showed. Yeah, <laughs> um, but more for the. Like the, the the games were not competitive um, against the rest of the world, but that was the first time we really got a look at 
um, Michael's competitiveness from a perspective of he knows nothing about this guy, Tony Kukoc, yeah. other than Jerry Krause likes him. And for that reason and that reason only, he has to be embarrassed. I mean, it, it the grudge, no one holds a grudge better than Michael Jordan. And that is an absolute fact. Um, poor Tony Kukoc, though. This guy has no idea what's coming. And Michael and Scotty just give him the business in that first game. Credit to him, like they showed in the documentary, and I'm glad they did it this way. But he came back and he played hard in that gold medal game and played well. So it's good to see. I mean, it, it's kind of like earning their respect a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think there was anything he could have done. And there was nothing he did to get their, like the brunt of their anger, but there was nothing he could do to like win them over. I think. Yeah. And I mean, even the first game against uh, Croatia, that was still like the, the first game against Croatia and the gold medal game. Those were still the two closest games that USA had to play, even with yeah. Mike and Scotty giving Kukoc the business in game one. But yeah, like this is a quiet, unassuming guy, rail thin, already dealing with, enough off the court you know all right. the strife in his home country and he comes here like right excited to play against these guys who you know will be his teammates eventually and they want absolutely nothing to do with him other than to you know completely the man. emasculate and demoralize him yeah um so yeah it, it was a, a tough start for kukoc yen great resiliency uh to come back in and play as well as he did in game two but yeah that's Started there, uh, Dan Marley, later in the finals, uh, 93, another guy, cross-liked, and Jordan just could not live with that. Former Grand Canyon head coach. but The, the, the fight in Lopes. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be back on top of the college basketball world soon enough. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a tough look. He, I, you know, Jerry Krause thinks you're a great defender. I'm going to go out of my way to show him that you are not a great defender. I mean, it's just unfair for these guys. That's I, that's really all you can say about it. It's just not fair when when Michael Jordan decides to turn it on and that he hates you. You are like like our tweet said, you are dead. And it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like you you can't win really saying or saying anything about the Bulls or just any any time you are about to play the Bulls with Jordan the way he is, he's going to find something mm-hmm. to motivate himself to kick your ass. It's just worst possible scenario for you if Jerry Krause happens to like you. Exactly. The the kiss of death is Jerry Krause liking you. Yeah. The other kiss of death is the media making a bigger deal. Well, I guess this kind of was a big deal, going to Atlantic City until 2 a.m. the night before a game in New York. But I don't know. Like, it's just a competition problem. Come on. Who, who among us hasn't been in Atlantic City until 2 a.m.? <laughs> show yourself because I would like to like to show everyone that it is a great place, especially at that time of day. Uh, but like I tweeted this out, I said, Atlantic City will always get the best of you, no matter what. You get you get stuck at Tropicana or or any of the the fine institutions there. Harris, uh, Borgata, yeah. any of them. Important caveat: no that, free ads. That almost all of us were not doing this right before an NBA playoff game, right? But still, that's that's just got to get away from the city for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Goes to Atlantic City till two a.m. Just Kings Day Kings. It is not a short drive either. No, it is multiple hours. Even yeah, even even without traffic, it's it's yeah. not a quick drive. 
And there's always traffic. There's always traffic on the parkway. Um, yeah, so it was it was a it was a wild episode, and the the last are down to four now. Running out of time here. Unbelievable. Yeah. sports need to Let's come back. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna yeah. We have Korean baseball now. We gave everyone five weeks to come up with a cure. I don't know how that's not long enough. I yeah. I mean the the ultimate idea, which I saw floated out by a couple of guys, still still waiting to see it grab some traction. It's like whatever university can come up with the vaccine, they're they're just reserved one of the college football playoff spots Done. next season. Done. Like Pitt's gonna get that. Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> they will snag that right away. This is Iowa's chance. They're going big to get yeah. into the college football playoff. I mean, if, yeah, if, if UCF finally wants a uh, a spot at the table, I don't, I don't, I don't know what what they've got uh, in terms of research department there, but perfect time to beef that up. This is it. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's about all I had. Any anything else you wanted to touch on? No, that's that's it. I the last the last quote from uh, the last dance was uh, when they showed him going golfing out in Phoenix. I believe it was a week before the playoffs or the finals or whatever it was uh, in the '92 season. Oh no, no, no. I, I'm mixing this up. But they were out golfing anyways. Phil Phil gave him some time off to go golf and whatever. <laughs> and he has the audacity to ask Dennis Rodman if he's going to go sit by the pool, and he goes, "Hell, <laughs> hell no! I'm going to Hooters." Like, yeah. of course you are. John Daly's going to be there. You're both going to just hang out and pound some beers. That's it. That's the day. Yeah, I've some of those situations where ignorance is bliss. Just don't even ask the it question. Is. You're going to hear an answer you don't like. There was also the $1 blackjack games going on at the front of the plane while MJ and Scotty were playing $1,000 hands of God knows what in the back. So that was also fun. Yeah, just Jordan having to have everyone on the plane's money in his wallet. So just keep hopping around game to game. Yeah. See, but uh, th- that actually feeds into the competition problem. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's not like a gambling thing. That's like, I'm so competitive that I want to be able to say I had your money. Yeah. He, he's not going over there and, and demanding they up the stakes to right. dollars a hand. He's, he's happy to play a dollar a hand if he can just get money from everyone, you know, the, the Paxons of the world. Right. So yeah, that that's that's basically all I had on uh, the last dance. Really good episodes, though. Yeah, as as they have been, uh, four left, and then Darkness. who the hell knows what we're gonna do? <laughs> Pain. Um, yeah, so we will we'll be here every week, whether we have the last dance or not. Um, trying to trying to line up some some guests for you guys and and keep the the content churning out while. We're waiting for most sports to come back. As you mentioned, Korean baseball is a thing. If you're into that, yep, it'll be on. It'll be on ESPN. I have to pick a team, but we'll we'll figure that out. Until uh, then, keep on listening. Keep on reading the site, uh, Sant Live and SantChicago.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, BFox, Frank Show, as well as Sant Chicago. Um, stay safe out there.